sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Every year on Capitol Hill, the Seventh-day Adventist Church hosts the one and only Religious Liberty Dinner. And we have the privilege of honoring some of the champions of religious liberty. Today, our guest is one of those being honored, Dr. Chris Seipel, who has too many hats. I'd spend the whole program just giving an introduction to all that he's done, perhaps uh, uh, most significantly President Emeritus of the Institute for Global Engagement. Chris, it's a delight to have you back on Freedom's Ring. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, you know, looking over your resume here, it's, it's clear that the honor is well-deserved. Your your career has really been working in a unique area that, you know, when we were talking before the show, I characterized as, as kind of an anomaly when it comes to religious freedom, because so much of religious freedom has to do with uh, work in the courts and the separation between church and state. But it seems to me that a lot of your work has been connecting governments with religious bodies to address some of the naughty conflict areas and, and religious liberty concerns. Um, and so I think the discussion is about the ways in which government and religious groups can cooperate together successfully. Is that fair? Well, you put your finger on it, and I appreciate that. Uh, sometimes we called what we did Track 1.5. In conflict resolution speak, Track 1 is government-to-government relations. Track 2 is grassroots-to-grassroots or people-to-people. And our whole theory of change was if the government and the grassroots are not in constant conversation, then there's no way to promote, let alone build religious freedom, which, oh, by the way, is an antidote to religious extremism. You can't have one without the other if you want a successful policy. And so that's exactly what we try to do in complicated places and encourage it in our own government. You know, um, I have to diverge here because I did a series of lectures in Bermuda recently, and my opening session I entitled The Age of Intolerance, and I struggled with my closing, which I knew had to be the antidote to religious intolerance, and I'm not sure I nailed it quite as well as you just did by saying that religious freedom is the antidote. Um, do you think that my characterization of the, the degree of, of conflict, violence, and persecution around the globe today is is, is uh, fair to call it the age of intolerance. I do. Of course, humans are humans and have been that way for a long time, and we tend to define against each other. But these times, to me at least, as a student of international relations, these times are reminiscent of the 1930s and the lead-up to World War II. And there's a, a tremendous amount of extremism that can be translated into hate because we define against the other. And you see the same phenomenon taking place in many countries where the religious and or ethnic majority is defined against a religious and or ethnic minority. You see this in Russia, you see it in China, you see it in parts of Eastern Europe. And so it is a global phenomenon that is getting worse. And so at times like these, we have to say, what is it 
that we're for? What is it that is the best of my faith that defeats the worst of religion? Because religion can get hijacked to be defined against a minority or against something, and that's just bad politics, and people die when that happens. And I dare say that all of our faiths have had their darker moments. You know, the new atheists criticize the history of the Christian church, which is kind of low-hanging fruit in a way. It doesn't take much intellectual heft to point out the, you know, Protestants and Catholics have, have fought over the centuries and, and not demonstrated the best of their faith in so doing. Well, that's absolutely right, and that's why the human condition has to be the organizing principle for any intellectually honest conversation. Sunni versus Shia, Catholic versus Protestant. You also see the rise of what I call sometimes secular fundamentalism, which is its own ideology that says we should not have faith in the public square. Uh, That's just as wrong as a Christian or a Muslim fundamentalism um, that doesn't allow for the other. So at the dinner, you'll be honored for your contributions over, I think, at least a 25-year career. And I'm wondering, as you look back, in all of your efforts to bring people together, is, is there some specific accomplishment that you're especially pleased with and proud of? Well, uh, I don't know if I can take credit or pride. These things take a long time and involve multiple organizations and agencies, and most of all, the host country where you're working, they have to make a decision to change. And all you can do is come alongside the best of who they already are. So I would say uh, there's two ways to think about this. One is to think about it conceptually, and the other way is to think about it uh, geographically in terms of where there's actually been some impact. And so the short answer to both of those frames would be this. One, I think we've been privileged to come alongside um, both Vietnam and Uzbekistan, we being me and the Institute for Global Engagement, coming alongside multiple partners and helping them be the only two countries to come off the State Department's list of countries that violate religious freedom. That's a tangible marker. There's still much to be done, but IGE played a significant role, if not strategic role, in getting those two countries off. And then the second thing to think about is conceptually. And so there's been a tradition in religious freedom advocacy of name, blame, and shame, where you blame the other person, you call them to account, and there's a time and place for that. But there's been an evolution in terms of how you engage and promote and build religious freedom. And so there's been a change from traditional advocacy to linking religious freedom as the antidote to security concerns. And I and IGE played a big role in that, I would like to say. Uh, the next evolution or innovation will be linking religious freedom to business. Brian Grimm has led the way there. And then the, the right. fourth iteration or innovation taking place now, which is to link res- mutual understanding, and mutual respect to something called religious literacy. And I think the museum and the Center for Religious Freedom there and at the Freedom Forum has led the way. And that's part of what I'm teaching at the University of Washington now, something I call cross-cultural religious literacy. But the point is there's different frames for people of different faith backgrounds to find an on-ramp to work for mutual understanding, uh, to include the places where you work, not just our own country, but places like Vietnam and Uzbekistan. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And if they don't buy into one of those frames, then there's nothing that you can do anyway. So I think I followed what you were saying, but I want to go back for our listeners and unpack it a little bit. I think the first point you made had to do with religious freedom and and security concerns. Um, How does religious liberty play in with security issues? 
Sure. So the evolution there has gone from name, blame, and shame, or traditional advocacy, where you write about things going on in another country, but often you, uh, the government that is responsible for that is you distance them and you alienate them from what you're trying to do. And they say, screw you and the horse you rode in on, because we don't want anything to do with you. All you can do is make us look bad. So the idea of religious linking religious freedom and security, or religious freedom in business, the third innovation, the common principle there is harnessing self-interest. So the argument that I would make in places like Vietnam and Uzbekistan would be to say, look, at everybody wins when a minority ethnic group, which is usually a minority faith group, when they can practice their faith, they are better citizens. They are more moral. They have more integrity. They're more likely to hold up contract law. Their men stop drinking. Their men stop beating wives. They contribute to the local economy with good jobs and um, look out for the poor and the orphan and the widow. All these things take place in general because every faith tradition has a golden rule. So don't repress them. Let them become good citizens and contribute to the well-being of the nation. Because when you repress, then you invite violence back. And so religious freedom is the antidote to, I think, extremism, because extremism results from many reasons. But one of the big reasons is injustice as perceived and received by a minority against the government. And when you can take that away and they can feel like they contribute to the government and the country, then you remove a motivation for extremism. And that's why religious freedom is good for everyone. And then the corollary to that, which you touched on, and Brian Grimm's work, is that religious freedom is good for the economy, good for business. Exactly. And again, it comes down to to self-interest. And I should be full disclosure, I'm on Brian's board. I'm a founding member. I've drunk the Brian Grimm Kool-Aid. And uh, he has single-handedly invented a field where people can understand that if business is to prosper, you have to have inclusivity and respect other people. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you agree with them, but you celebrate their inherent dignity that I as a Christian would attribute to their being made in the image of God. But because of that, I don't necessarily agree with their beliefs or resulting behavior, but I can affirm their inherent dignity and I can include them as fellow citizens working for better prosperity. And when there's better prosperity, more religious freedom, there's less political division, there's more economic development. And by the way, as Brian has proven, the corollary, there's more women's empowerment. That's all good for a country's stability and security and for its business environment. Well, and I know you've been focused on the international arena. My interest in the correlation between uh, religious freedom and the economy has to do with convincing local government that having religious bodies in their community tax-exempt, they're not contributing to the tax base, nevertheless enhances the local economy and reduces the dependency on government services. For example, you know, when our kids are in church and they're not in gangs and they're not, you know, getting addicted to drugs and what have you and violence, you know, reduces the cost of police, court, social workers, and the whole bit. Uh, so there's a domestic connection here as well. Absolutely. And it gets back to this larger point of humans want to do the right thing, but they can be easily manipulated or don't have the time to think it through and be defined against something if you've got somebody saying things and trying to mobilize that way. But the connection between religious freedom and religious and business and security is that you harness the self-interest. 
and you demonstrate empirically where there's more religious freedom, there's less extremism, uh, there's more jobs, etc. And that's a different way of making an argument than saying, hey, we ought to just go love everybody. And the golden rule mm -hmm. is the golden rule. Oh, sure. But the bottom line is religious freedom is not only the right thing to do, it's in our self-interest. And if we can harness some of those things domestically or abroad, then we create a better coalition to work together. And at the end of the day, that's what this country is about. Multi-faith, no faith at all, coalitions, because we're all common citizens of this grand experiment called America, which is no better or worse than any place else, except that this is our, where the exceptional part comes in, except that we are wired to try and look for these solutions. We're not wired to look for the differences, even though we do. In general, we're much more about bringing people together as fellow citizens across faith and across politics, as opposed to being defined against those things. One more minute, Chris, real quick. In the aftermath of 9-11, tremendous interest, emphasis on winning the battle for hearts and minds. Are we even, in your view, are we even fighting that battle for hearts and minds? How are we doing? I don't think we're doing as well as we could. Well, there's been an overemphasis on hard power going out and killing the bad guys. That's a two-dimensional understanding of security. A three-dimensional understanding of security doesn't say what are we against, it says what we are for, and has to include religious freedom as the greatest weapon we have, the greatest element of our soft power. And if we can engage that and be humble about how we engage given our point of origin and slavery and the things that we had to learn and adjust as we went, self-critiquing and therefore self-correcting, that's the point of engagement with other countries and other cultures is our own humility to say, we don't want you to make mistakes we make. And we can be much, much better at that. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful discussion. Our guest, Dr. Chris Seipel, a longtime champion of religious freedom who's going to be honored at a Liberty Dinner at Capitol Hill coming up probably before this program airs. Chris, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring. And as we close, friends, remember we don't just talk the talk. We help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reiner. Until next week, let freedom ring.